Thank you, John. Good morning. Great to be with you. And um, yeah, real privilege. Those of you that know me uh, know that I, I've got a love affair with this book. It changed my life, literally, uh, over many, many years. So um, I will, forewarning, little red flag, I am going to get excited. So um, the book of Ephesians, let me just give you a bit of a, a big broad outline uh, of where it sits in the, in the context of the New Testament. So what is the New Testament? Well, it's the story of Jesus and the church um, from his time. And it, and it basically cut, it cuts into two areas. One is the history and the story on the narrative about Jesus and his coming, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And that is found in the Gospels. And then Dr. Luke, he adds on to it a little bit. So he writes not only the Gospel of Luke, the story of the disciples and Jesus, but he carries on writing and he starts, he writes the story of the early church and the coming of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Now the other part is, is dedicated to Christian leaders who wrote and communicated to the churches that had been planted. And, and we have to understand that in New Testament days, the church was very, very different to what it is today. And basically, the church comprised of two groups in the time that the, the New Testament was written. There was the Jewish Christians who came to faith, and they carried out living their Jewish faith, but believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And so they, were, they started off quite exclusive and elite. And, uh, and the boss of that group was the Apostle Peter. But, but what happened was that thousands of non-Jews became Christians and it created a little bit of a problem in the early church and you read some of that in the book of Acts but but gradually they grew and their boss was the apostle Paul Saul of Tarsus who became Paul and 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 it took a long long time literally over a hundred years before the two churches kind of merged together through increasing truth and persecution and trouble and, and another wonderful story that we find in church history and so Paul writes and there's other apostles but he writes to these churches that are predominantly non-Jewish uh, and and gives them a bit of an insight and and what we get we get two kinds of letters uh, we, we the old-fashioned versions of the Bible call them epistles, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's just Greek for letter. Uh, but if they were coming today, they'd be emails. Uh, and, so, and so Paul the boss knocks out a few emails, and, uh, and we get them. There's these collection of emails that are left uh, for us that comprise his writings. And, and, and basically, there's some emails that, that go to his churches that are kind of internal um, they, 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 they weren't necessarily for public con consumption. And it's like the government, an, an interdepartmental email that the media love to get hold of and leak. And, and, and in one sense, that some of the writings are leaked emails, uh, particularly like Corinth as an illustration, um, that, that Paul's been there, he's, he's found a great church full of problems, big mess, and he starts to knock them into shape. So he writes these letters, these emails, and, and just shorts them out. And actually, 
he, we don't know, but talk to Ben afterwards, the, it's theologians guess, but there's, there's possibly seven or eight even more letters that went to Corinth, of which we've got two. And uh, we're pretty confident that first email to Corinth was the original first one. What we've got a second Corinthians certainly wasn't the second. There was probably two or three in between. And so you get snippets and, and it's, it's fascinating. It still reveals what's happening in the church. It still brings some truth about Jesus and the early church. But, but that's what it is. But, but the second lot that Paul did were, were, keeping with the governmental communication line, were press releases. So these were the bits that the government wanted everybody to know. And, and, and Paul wrote a lot of these when he was in prison. So he couldn't visit, he couldn't be hands-on. So he wrote to churches that he knew about. And, and in these sits the, the book of Ephesians. So actually, the letter or the email that he sends was for all the church. And we've got the copy that was highlighted to the church at Ephesus. Now, I've done on that. There's one other comment to make that is of interest, and that is that Paul sometimes doubled up. So he sent letters uh, to one community that were very similar to another. So again, going in the big picture, if you study the book of Romans, you need to study the book of Galatians, because there's big overlaps of the things that he says. And similarly, and here we're digging down and getting to Ephesians, the letter that he writes to the Ephesians is very similar to the one that he wrote to the church at Colossae. And Colossae was about 100 miles further away from Ephesus, and there's parallels there. Now, so we're getting into it. Paul, in writing to the Ephesians and to the Colossians starts the same way. He has a burst of excited revelation. Um, the scholars who look into the literary side of his letters say, say they're poems, some say they were hymns, but whatever they were, they were an explosion of, of thought uh, that, that Paul had that he wanted to launch his, his email to the churches. The one, and, and the parallel study is really helpful because the one that he writes to Colossae, his, his great poem, his great hymn of praise is all focused on who Jesus is. And, and, and in chapter one, you get this repetition of this little phrase, he is, he is, he is. And, uh, and we, we'd have a great time. We ought to do Colossians sometime. Uh, and and he, he, he talks about the majesty of who Jesus Christ is. And that's his theme. We're in Ephesians. And he starts with the same explosion of emotion and excitement. But his theme is Whilst it includes and focuses Jesus, it's very much who we are. And, and, and the two go parallel. We see Paul to Colossae saying who Jesus is. But in Ephesians, this great start, this hymn, this poem, is who we are in Christ. The identity of the church. And he unpacks what the church is. So let's um, dig in and uh, let's read. So the first 
big passage. So he says some hellos, introductions that he does to all in all his emails. But verse 3 to verse 14. And, and to give you some idea of, of Paul's excitement in this, this passage, verse 3 what, to, to verse 14, is one sentence. If, if Paul was recording it, he takes a big breath and bursts. So let's go. How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master Jesus Christ and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure, what fun, it literally means, he took in planning this. Keep going. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by all our misdeeds. And not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything provided for everything we could possibly need. Letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in the deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard of the truth and believed, believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home, free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow. So, I mean, I, I, I could go off on one there, and we ought to get the band out and have a hallelujah time. Um, but, but the job and the responsibility is, is what do we make of that? And me being me, uh, I, I, I'm going to be a bit edgy. And the, the real heart of Paul is, now, that's easy enough to understand. It's lavish love. It's purpose-filled life. Do you believe it? And the answer is, no, we don't believe it as much as we should. But we can believe it more. So his passion is, and it's like Colossians, that after he's given this big burst of understanding of who we are in Christ as Christians, he says, I've got to pray. I've just got to pray and uh, my brief is to do this bit and Tina in a week or so is going to focus on this this prayer uh, a, a little bit more but but I just want to highlight one verse uh, that 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 I, helps us develop the tone so verse 18 of chapter 1 which is in the middle of this prayer but he's and he says this um 
he says, but I, this is verse 17, but I do more than thank, I ask. Ask the God of our master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him. He's saying, I'm praying God will help you get this personally. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what is the calling you to, calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Wow. So I don't know how you define your life as a Christian, but Paul says, I pray that you will grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for us Christians. Now, you see, we won yesterday. So Forest supporters are a bit ecstatic because we, we, we never win away. But we won away and we won at Chelsea. And so, and so the chat lines, because I read them, are full of euphoria and we're all celebrating, happy to be a Forest supporter. But most of the time it's pretty miserable. Uh, and, and truth is, guys, we're a bit like that. That, that we allow the, the issues of life to swampers and blankers and stop us seeing the utter fantastic life that Jesus has got for us. It's linked very much to what Jesus said in John 10. 10. He says, I've come that you might have life and life in all its fullness. The old-fashioned word is abundance beyond what you can imagine or think. And I, I, I love my life as a Christian. But I believe that what God says to me, it's even better. Uh, and I don't want to die with regrets. I, I, I want to live and say, God, I've got it to the full. Paul, Paul is passionate about this. Let me, let me just illustrate it from a little bit of, of recent history of what he's, he's, he's trying to say here. Uh, the Victorians, well, well for whatever, whatever, they were fantastic engineers and they totally changed the face of this country. And one aspect of their engineering was, was what we call mechanization. They, they learned how to make pieces interlock and made machines and made things work. And all of a sudden, we get, we get I'm an engineer, so this is kind of speaking in tongues to some of you. But we things like cams and sliders and springs and ratchets. And, and I love it. Uh, but the Victorians were brilliant about it. And, and, and te their technology was that all of a sudden transport was utterly revolutionized and the railways were built. And what happened is that, is that the common man, not the elite and the rich, but ordinary people like you and I could go on excursions. And the whole concept of a holiday resort and seaside towns developed under the, the Victorians. And so there, and there were great entrepreneurs. And so... One of the things that happened, they built piers. And on these piers, they populated them with things called arcades, of which they had machines with all these rackets, sprockets, and springs and sliders, of which people could spend their little bit of spending money when they went on holiday and play with. And, uh, and these slot machines were, were built in their literal thousands all over the country. And this was all good for the entrepreneurs and the businessmen who did it. And then the thing hit the rocks. Because the machines kept breaking down. 
And the Victorians knew there was nothing wrong with the machines. But the machines kept getting jammed. And so what they did, they printed literally tens of thousands of cards that they stuck on all these slot machines. And the instructions were, wait until the penny drops. Wait until the penny drops. The Victorians, in their excitement, were slamming their coins in, ratcheting it up, and the whole thing log jammed. And they had to slow down and wait for the penny to drop for the machines to work. It was so familiar that it's become a figure of speech. I was older ones. Anybody not heard of it? Wait until the penny drops. Has the penny dropped? And, and here is the text of Ephesians. He's saying to us, listen, I can go forever and ever telling you about the majesty of Jesus and the fantastic things for the church, but it's no use unless for you the penny's dropped. And, and I've read it a thousand times, but slight exaggeration, lot. But, 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 but my prayer is still, Lord, let the penny drop. This is his heart that I pray that you'll have this spirit of wisdom and revelation so that he puts it in these words, you'll grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for us Christians. I don't want it to be a text on my toilet wall. I don't want it even to be underlined in my copy of the Bible. I don't even want to memorize it. I passionately want to live it. Because I'm selfish enough to want the best out of life. And I believe the best out of life is to receive what Jesus has done for us. So, remaining time. What's he saying in this passage? Two simple observations that he makes in this context. The first thing that he's saying is, now wait for it. He's saying, you are fantastically rich. It's about God's resources to you. And immediately there's a human side in us. I don't feel rich. Does the Holy Spirit understand mortgages? Was cancer around in those days? Was unemployment? Was depression? Was mental illness? Was, was food banks? The answer, actually, yes, all those things were there. But in the context of the reality of life, with all the challenges in 21st century Britain, and I watched for 10 minutes the Chancellor explain how brilliantly they're doing for the nation. And I think he's a sincere chap, but there was a degree of skepticism in me. I'm sorry. You know, and, 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 and in, the, in this backdrop, God speaks through the Apostle Paul and says, you lot, you're rich. What's he saying to us? And he opens us up to the context of a bank. It's, it's, it, he says these words. It's the bank of heaven. Whose bank is it? It's our God and Father. It's his bank. Who's the bank manager? We get everything through our Lord Jesus Christ. What's in the account? 
every blessing that's in him through Christ. Where's the branch? And this is the key bit. The branch is in me. It's in you. He says this in verse 3. He says, that every, every spiritual blessing, it heavenly blessing. So, let's pause. Here I am. I've got to put petrol in the car. I have to go to Sainsbury's or Lidl. I have to buy this. My council tax has gone up. Da, 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 da. Blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I look at the bank account every month and, and we're blessed. And others are finding it much harder. And he says, I'm rich. And I'm saying, the riches is in me. So he says, this thing called, well, what's the use of riches in the heavenless? So we have to find out what he means by riches in the heavenless. Well, the first thing we think, it's, is it up there? Where the moon is, the Indians have just gone. Is it in the stars? Is it in the cosmos? Is he, he's saying it's somewhere up there where we've got to look. And his answer is, no, it's not there. He says, okay, well, let's get a little bit more religious. Is it where we go when we die? And, and that place that's called heaven, where, where God is, and the Bible says Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, and it's where the dead in Christ live in paradise, and, and it's all God up there. Is that what he's talking about? And the answer is no. That's re reality for our future. What he means here, he means the unseen world that we live in. There's a seen world. In my humanity, I need oxygen. I need food. We need all the, the, the basics of life, the nutrition, the life, the, the, the stimulation, the education, the development of intellect, and all the, the good things that go with it, and all the things that are broken with it, the realities of our lives right now, which means my thought life, my attitudes, my emotions, the place where you and I really live, he says, that's the place where you're rich. Wow. Because he says, he says it's, it's in Christ. So the very place where I'm afraid, the very place where I'm angry, the very place that I'm really ticked off with God, for not doing church the way I think he should do it. The very place where I let my emotions get carried away and I dream that Forrest will win the premiership uh, and, and all this stuff, and if, if you think that's flippant, forgive me, all that stuff that utterly envelops my life every day. He says, if you open up the cupboard of Christ, you will find resources that overwhelm your doubt, overwhelm your, fe your fear, overwhelm your anxiety, overwhelm and overcome even your physical sickness. I'm not promising automatically healing, but there will be a wealth of well-being that makes you a millionaire in spiritual terms. This is what he's saying. And, 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 he, and he, he keeps it very contemporary and he says, I'm going to give you the PIN number. And the PIN number is praise. Blessed be, church, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the guy who owns the bank. Blessed be the one who's blessed me where I'm at right now. I will believe that I'm rich and the riches will become reality to me. Not just some spiritual concept that John can get excited about for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning. But the very reality of what's going off in my life, if I press the pin and say, Lord, in these circumstances, I am going to declare your goodness, your greatness. You are not against me, you are for me. I exalt your great and mighty name. You see, why we're passionate about having Holy Spirit praise is not to make a good noise. It's not even to make a good confession. It is right and honourable that we big God up, even though he doesn't need it. He just likes it when we get engaged. The real reason of praise is that it elevates me into this life that he's promised me of immense riches. So, number one, we're rich in Christ. The second thing that is a huge contemporary problem he talks about identity. We live in a world where filthy rich people, sorry if that's a bit crude, but massively wealthy people in natural terms, brilliantly minded, educational, philosophical people, they don't know who they are. They've lost their identity. In fact, we're trying to create an identity by eliminating identity. You, you can't be certain about your sexuality. You can't be certain about your gender. In fact, anything that's absolute is questioned. It's all robbing us of our identity. They'll never understand that they are subjects of a king who is malevolent and evil. And even these greatest noble thoughts are under the subjection of de the devil who wants to rob us and mankind of knowing who they truly are. And Paul, in his email to us through Ephesus, says, I'm telling you, this is who you are. And the book of Ephesians has this little phrase, in Christ. 35 times in this little letter, this little email that he sends out, 35 times he talks about us finding ourselves in Christ. Christ is my mirror. Christ is my doctor. Christ is my shrink. Christ is my chef. Christ is my fitness trainer. Christ makes my bed work. Christ is my entertainment. Christ actually fulfills everything in me that I find life with all its challenges vibrant and, and I'm not a victim of life. <laughs> you see, the words come back to haunt us. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am. I am. I am. How dare you say I am? In Christ, I dare say it. I am a child of God. Not because of my accomplishments, not because of my talents, but because I believe what Christ said to me. I enjoy being me. That's what Christ says to us. 
35 times. So, it's just headlines I've done. Number one, he says, he says, in Christ, I am chosen. Verse four. It's quite an interesting thought. Because if I got you to tell your testimony, your story of how you came to faith, and for some of you, you can come to faith today. And we tell the story, well, this happened and this happened and this happened and then I heard this message or this person showed me incredible love and they explained to me about Jesus and, and I put my trust in Jesus and, 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 and something wonderful happened and, and the basic definition is that I chose Jesus. And this says, that's what you think. But actually, the truth is, before you took a breath, before you gave your mother her first kick in the womb, before your dad had a bit of fun with your mom, before the foundation of the world, he had you in mind. Wow. Wow, I am chosen. The realization that, yeah, I had to employ a little bit of faith, but actually, I just collided with my destiny that he had chosen me. The next thing he says, in Christ, I am redeemed. It's an old-fashioned word, and we did a bit when, when we did Romans. It literally means purchased. I've been bought. It's, it's the language that I've got, I've got all this rubbish in my life and, and I've got a boss who doesn't like me. He's called Satan and he's malevolent and he fills me with doubt. He fills me with fear. My body gets invaded by illness. I grow old, grumpy and all that kind of stuff. This thing called life. And, 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 and I can't break through of it no matter how hard I try. And he says, no, you were slaves, but I bought you from the slave market. And I've purchased you. It means I belong to him. You see, church, it means this. That when the devil puts those doubts in my mind, when the devil takes those pictures on the TV and my mind stays on them a little bit too long, that when I look at my bank balance and I'm a bit afraid and I want a little bit more, and when, and when all these negatives that bombard us Every day of our lives, because of this truth that resides in me, I can say to the devil, naff off. Get lost. I don't belong to you. I'm not under your control. I belong to Christ. I've been chosen by him and I have been purchased by him. He's put it. I talked about it a few months ago. I won't do it again now. I'm his masterpiece. That's what he says. We are his masterpiece. We're the pride of heaven. Jesus takes, not, well, I've given him a chance. No, he says, I've chosen her. I've planned her. I've planned her husband, her family, all this, this thing. He says, and I've purchased them. I'm incredibly proud. And the third thing he says at the end, he says, in Christ, I'm sealed. This language, it literally means marked. It means stamped. It's a sign to others. Because when you believe this, the devil says, 
I better not wrestle with him because he's going to give me a hard time. There's a knowledge that there's a mark on you assigned to others. Don't touch. There's a promise to us. Don't doubt. It's there. It's the Holy Spirit, he says, this seal. Thrumming it in Christ. He writes to the Corinthians and he says this. God affirms us. Making a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us, by his spirit he has stamped us with his eternal pledge. In other words, what he's saying is when you came to Christ and received the Holy Spirit and started to believe this glorious email, he put a hallmark on you. Paulie and I like watching the old antique roadshow and some of the flogging and you know, all those sort of things. Don't know why, because we've got no... Nothing. <laughs> but, but, but we like it. We like the mystery and we like the shocks and the surprises. But he says, you are marked. Our lives, it's a guarantee. It's incontestable. And, and it's all part of this glorious. I've, I've, I've just flipped a little bit on these first. But we could stay there for a month. Martin Lord-Jones, the great preacher, preached for seven years on the book of Ephesians. It's just, you know, you, you might get bored. You would with me. Hey, church, do Colossians in your meditations and see how great Jesus is. And then come back to this and see, because he's great, he can do great things in me. We are incredibly rich. We've got a fantastic identity. We're wealthy beyond measure. We're the apple of his eye. And he says, has the penny dropped? And I stand before Jesus and you and say, Jesus, let the penny drop in me a little bit more. Anybody else? Anybody else? Say, oh, Jesus, let the penny drop. Hip, hip, hooray.